The debate among Democrats during their presidential primary was chiefly about how far government should go in extending its existing control of the healthcare industry. Should it become the single payer of all medical expenses, or as Bernie Sanders called it, should it impose Medicare for all? Or should it create a form of subsidized so-called public option insurance alongside existing private coverage, building on the provisions of Obamacare as Joe Biden proposed? Well, as we know, Biden won the nomination and the election, and so his proposal is now going to become a focus of policy debates. Uh, Biden's also going to be assuming office amidst an unprecedented in a century public health crisis, the coronavirus pandemic, which is bound to shape uh, this debate as well. Beneath that agenda and beneath this whole controversy, of course, is a set of deeper philosophical premises that motivate the Democrats' views of healthcare. Well, welcome to New Ideal Live. This is the podcast of the Ayn Rand Institute. My name is Ben Bayer. Today, we are going to be discussing those philosophical premises. This is our second part in a series of podcasts on critiquing the philosophical ideas that shape the Biden administration. Today, we're going to focus on their ideas about healthcare. So, hello, Ankar. Hi, Ben. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us. Um, so, we we were discussing. Uh, yesterday in this podcast series, uh, you and Elon uh, gave sort of an overview of the Biden administration's policies and uh, with some some focus on their economic agenda. Today we're talking about healthcare. Tomorrow we're talking about uh, energy and the environment. Uh, could you start off by saying a word about why we thought of all the different issues in this agenda, healthcare was one of the most important to focus on? As you outlined, there's uh, a dizzying array of different topics in Biden's policy platform. So why of all of them are we focusing on healthcare today? I think it's partly what you said in the opening, Ben, that this is an important central issue for the Democrats, that in the primaries, this was one of the main issues they were debating and supposedly they disagree on, or at least disagree to some extent on, and Biden won the nomination. He has a certain approach. So it's significant in the sense that this is likely one of the major avenues in which they will really try to pass new legislation. And then it's an issue that is, I think, almost uh, self-evident in its importance that healthcare is one of the glories of the modern world is modern healthcare. The, the fact that we live longer and more vibrant lives, that people in their 60s, 70s, or like people in their 40s, 50s, 50, 100 years ago, is thanks to modern medicine, broadly construed. So medicine and the whole healthcare industry. So it's an enormously life-giving industry. So what happens to it? If it improves or deteriorates, of the legislation being proposed, is the effect going to be it's going to improve our ability to purchase and uh, benefit from healthcare advances, or is it going to get in the way of that? That's an enormously significant issue anytime. And then, I mean, the pandemic has really emphasized this year the importance of this industry. And just look at the fact that we got these vac vaccines in such record time. 
I don't think it's an accident that we got them in the US, but still one of the comparatively freest um, nations in terms of healthcare, certainly not free, because it's one of the freest. So it's a really important issue. And I think freedom in healthcare, I mean, I think of that as it's really important. I don't know, I mean, maybe you want to say a little bit about the way you view it about freedom in healthcare. Well, it's it's a it's a bit uh, it's a strange thing to say. I think, from or at least it it will sound strange for many to listen to you hear it, uh, to, to listen to you say that because in in many people's view, the idea is f- healthcare is so important, and that's why it needs to be left up to the government. Uh, the view is that government does all the important things. All it provides all the public goods. Healthcare is a public good. Therefore, government needs to provide health care just like it, uh, present, it provides a military and, and uh, a police force. Um, uh, so could you say a little more about why it is that uh, you think the importance of health care entails there should be freedom in the healthcare market, that government, in fact, shouldn't be in charge of running it? Yeah, and I think it's important for framing this whole discussion that we're going to have today about Biden's plan in particular, that our approach is that what we want is more freedom in healthcare. I think one easy way to look at this issue is to look at segments or parts or aspects of the American economy and American business, American industry. It's the freer parts. I think if if you really pay attention to what is going on, it's the freer parts of the economy that drive American productivity, innovation, and our rising standard of living. I think the most salient is high-tech industry. If if you look at the advances that Microsoft, Google, Apple, Facebook, and then the whole plethora of startups in Silicon Valley and the Ubers and the Lyfts that are driving American innovation, the fact that we're enjoying um, the internet and all the apps and cell phones and all these things that didn't exist 20 years ago, this is the industry that's driving it. And it's one of the freest industries in the United States. So as you said, yesterday we talked more generally about um, Biden's whole list of plans, economic plans. What is not there except for, there's, there's a caveat to this, but what's not there is here's our plans for Silicon Valley. This is how we're going to run the gig economy. And this is how we're going to run the cell phones. And this is how we're going to run the computer industry. And it's good that that's not there. This is the reason that those industries and lines of business are booming in the U.S. And the U.S. leads the world in these industries. And then compare industries that are really controlled by government, and they're not nearly as productive or vibrant. One of the things that we'll talk about uh, later in the episode, I think, is uh, the extent to which the government is involved in healthcare, how it got that way, how that explains a number of the problems with the current industry. But just as a sort of teaser to that point, to um, build off what you just said, it's, it's interesting even to look in the healthcare industry where the, there are freer and more regulated components of that industry. The freer ones that are uh, typically not covered by insurance include uh, things like plastic surgery, 
uh, or, or veterinary care, which is the same thing except for animals. And it's a lot cheaper and there's a lot more competition and it's a lot more affordable, um, which you wouldn't expect for something like plastic surgery. The prices have been going down, whereas they've been going up in every other area uh, of healthcare. And you've got, to, you've got to figure that has something to do with the degree of control. Yes. Another um, example of that is LASIK surgery. Mm. Um, correction of eyesight. And it's, this is what you see in the tech sector. What you see in the tech sector is increasingly better products at lower and lower prices. Whether you're looking at cell phones, TVs, computers, your TV or computer is way better than it was three or four years ago when you bought a new one. And it's likely you paid less for it. And that's what we should be seeing in healthcare and we've not seen it. So one of the things that we did to get ready for this episode was to take a look at the Biden uh, plan for healthcare uh, on his website. And uh, Ankur, what, what stood out to you more than anything else when looking at the provisions of that plan about what he wanted to do in order to have government provide this crucial good? One of two things that really stood out, but it was, I'm looking for this because what I think healthcare needs is plans for how we're going to reduce the controls on all the various producers in healthcare from doctors, nurses, hospitals, insurance companies, how we're going to lessen, it will often be put as the government red tape, but I think that's a euphemism. It's controls of government telling these people how they have to conduct their careers what a hospital can and cannot do, what drug companies can and cannot do. It's they have to function increasingly by permission. And this is part of what it means that it's government control. I'm looking for proposals and plans for how we're going to reduce those controls and so increase the freedom of the various producers in healthcare. And I don't think in, in, in it's a fairly long uh, um, write up about what the plans, the Biden administration's plans are for healthcare. I don't think the word freedom or synonyms for it was mentioned once in the whole plan. And that really stands out. That it, that's not at all the, how they think about healthcare. But maybe the closest that they ever come to talking about freedom is uh, by talking about uh, options. And they do want to provide this so-called public option. Uh, could, you, could you say, could you tell our audience a little more about what that is supposed to be and what your overall view of it is? Yeah, so yeah, you're right. I think that it's deliberately called the public option to suggest you're increasing your options and that people think of freedom as it's partly what it means is a freedom to choose and that's to choose between options or among options. So it's, it's meant to try to sort of echo the issue of freedom, but the public option, if we put it as it's a government controlled entity and whether it's modeled on Medicare and it's going to be Medicare for all so that everybody, not just you have to be 65 or over to avail yourself of this option, but everyone will have an option like this. It's government run government control. That is not rightly thought of as a competitor, that this is another competitor entering the market. And we think of competition as good. 
um, partly because the producers are going to be competing among themselves to be more efficient. And you as a, as a purchaser or consumer of healthcare, you'll have more choices. When you get a government option, it pushes out private enterprise. I mean, you can take all kinds of industries like this. Um, one is education. The fact that government gets more and more involved in public education pushes private um, schools, even if they're not outlawed, it makes it harder and harder for them to exist because you've got a, a so-called competitor that's getting taxpayer money and usually all kinds of government privileges that other, I mean, privileges that are not granted to the others, um, to, to the real private enterprises. So you, it becomes harder and harder for them to function and it, they won't disappear completely, but they're more and more marginalized. And I think it's, it's noteworthy that, I don't think this is necessarily true about Biden, but I've read comments from supporters of the public option that, uh, who say, no, that we hope that this will uh, eventually lead to some kind of Medicare for all or some kind of uh, single payer plan uh, where it's what takes over when, when the private companies are eliminated for whatever reason. Yeah. So you have to take them at their word when, when, they, when they say things like that uh, publicly. Um, but what's driving all of this? What, what's the philosophical premise that, uh, whether, it's, whether it's Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden or anyone, uh, even certain people on the right, I believe, uh, leads them to advocate for more and more government provision of healthcare. I think on that issue too, they're open about it. They, if you really read it and take seriously what they're saying, they're telling you what their basic approach is. And one of the things that you will see if you take seriously what they're saying is the, so the debate between the Biden sort of Democrat and the more Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, AOC Democrat really is, I think, a debate about the time and precise steps to implement the same uh, goal. The same, they, they have the same endpoint, and it's defined by their basic approach. Their basic approach is we, that is, American citizens have a right to health care. And this is, in, in Biden's plan, this is stressed a number of times, in one way it's put, is for Biden, this is personal. This is quoting from the plans up on his website. He believes that every American has a right, a right to the peace of mind that comes with knowing they have access to affordable quality healthcare. So you have the right to peace of mind knowing that healthcare is gonna be provided for you. And on this, there's fundamental agreement. Nobody questions this, nobody challenges this. Everybody, if they're articulating their plans, says something to the effect that you as an American citizen have a right to healthcare. If you really think that, then the way to implement it is going to be, well, what is the government's function? The government's, and what is American government's function? It's to protect 
and secure your rights. That's with the Declaration of Independence. And if you have a right to healthcare, the government has to ensure that that right you actually are in possession of. So someone has to provide you with healthcare. And if it's not being done um, for everyone, so this is the, the idea, everybody has to be covered and have health insurance and so on. If everyone's not getting this right, something fundamentally and politically has gone wrong and government has to step in to make sure everyone has it. And to do that, it has to have control over the whole healthcare industry to make sure everybody's getting the healthcare to which they have a right. And they're pretty open, as I say, about this, but it would be worth talking about what's wrong with this conception of rights. And it, I mean, here, Ben, maybe say a few words about the way you think about rights and why a so-called right to healthcare is, it doesn't make sense. Right, so, I mean, I, I agree with Ayn Rand's view of rights, which is that rights are social conditions for uh, coexistence among people in a way that enables individuals to flourish on earth. And for human beings, the, pre the, the primary prerequisite for that is uh, the freedom that we need to use our minds in order to produce and trade with others. So insofar as you bring the issue of rights into the questions about healthcare, you, you, can, you can apply the concept of rights there, but what it means is uh, you have the right to uh, produce and trade with others for who want to uh, provide healthcare to you in exchange. Uh, and then if you're a doctor, for instance, or some kind of healthcare provider, you have the right to produce healthcare services in exchange for them from and, and exchange them for money. So there's a there's a application of the concept of rights there, which entails, you know, healthcare producers should have the freedom to produce and profit. Healthcare consumers should have the freedom to to purchase that healthcare. Uh, and but that's it. So uh, if you reinterpret the concept of rights in a way that suggests I need something and therefore uh, somebody else has to provide it, whether it's the taxes, the taxpayers who are paying the providers or whether it's the providers themselves who are directly compelled to provide it, that's a concept of rights that amounts to the idea of saying there's a right to enslave someone else to provide goods and services for you. Um, Ayn Rand's view was that there can be no such thing as a right to enslave. Uh, and so that, that that reinterpretation of the concept of rights is, is a perversion. Uh, and I, mean, I agree with that. I, do, you, do you have more you want to add to that? No, I think, I think that's good. To, and to stress the, I want to talk more about this, the issue of producers and that this is what is ignored, evaded, I think, when all these proposals are made, that what it really means for producers is, it's, it's sometimes discussed, it's hinted at, but they never really wanna face it directly, because as you said, it, what, if you really think there's this kind of right to healthcare, what it means is you make servants or slaves of producers. But before we turn to that point, it, it's, I think, worth mentioning that in this regard, the, the 
people pushing for government control and full government control of healthcare have been playing the long game. So I think from the start, when they started saying we have a right to healthcare, and that which means that someone has to provide it and has to be compelled to provide it, as you said, whether it's taxpayers, whether it's the healthcare producers directly are going to be compelled to do this. That's the end goal of complete control. And they talk about it as it's a lengthy process. So this also in Biden's plan, when he talks about Obamacare and, and that part of what he wants to do is uh, gradually build upon Obamacare in his four years. It, he puts it as in the plan, quote, it was a victory. So we're talking about Obamacare. It was a victory a hundred years in the making. It was the conclusion of a tough fight that required taking on Republicans, special interests, and the status quo to do what's right, uh, close quote. And it's this is to do what's right and that they've been doing this for a hundred years is stressing we have a right to healthcare and that has certain implications that we have to continually enact into law. And it's so what, what Biden versus Sanders are really debating at is the speed in which we're going to implement this, the policies that we're going to implement, not any significant differences in the actual policy. And it's, it is interesting to look at a little bit of the history of how, uh, of, of all the different measures that have been undertaken in the last hundred years, especially in the last 75, uh, which have led to greater and greater involvement of government in the healthcare industry, the, the the caricature that you sometimes hear is, well, right now we have a free market in healthcare. Right now we have capitalism in healthcare, and the there's all kinds of problems with the industry, and that's the reason why government needs to step in. But the truth is that we haven't had anything like a free market in medicine uh, since the early 20th century. It, it started, I think, it really started in World War II when the government imposed uh, wage controls which made it uh, hard to attract new workers at factories. And so uh, companies started offering employer-sponsored health insurance, which then became a regular thing. And it was incentivized by the tax system for employers to purchase health insurance for their, uh, for their employees. Uh, but still, this wasn't enough, of course, because people who didn't have jobs couldn't, uh, didn't get employer-covered uh, health insurance. And so in 1965, you get Medicare and Medicaid, which uh, are providing government-sponsored health care for poor people and sick people. Uh, it does this without any uh, real increase in supply of health care. And so then over the next 10 to 20 years, you start to see prices in the industry increasing. Um, people start to worry about these prices. And so 1973, you, you get the creation of HMOs, which are especially uh, uh, incentivized again by the tax structure to try to keep costs down. But then of course the quality uh, starts to suffer and yet they get blamed as, the, as the, the problematic free market entities. In the eighties, you have a, a law that's passed that basically says, well, anybody who's accepting free market, anybody who's accepting Medicare, Medicaid payments, if you're a hospital, you can't turn anyone away just because they don't have the ability to pay. Um, but still somebody has to pay that you know, for those patients to get covered. So the costs shift onto the people who can pay, they call this cost shifting. Uh, and then Medicare starts to expand 
President Bush signs uh, Medicare expansion in 2003 covering prescription drugs. That's the whole context for Obamacare. That's the whole system where uh, that is being blamed as a free market system with its rising prices and problematic quality. But it's a system that's been uh, that's been shackled by government for for 40, 50 years and has is, is being increasingly shackled. And then Obamacare comes in and does even more. So uh, let's let's start to talk about um, what more it is that that Biden wants to do to build on uh, Obamacare, uh, you know, which which provided an individual mandate and uh, ruled out pre-existing bans on pre-existing conditions. Um, what are the, some of the ways that you noticed in which the producers of healthcare are really being made to be our servants in some of the plans that out that that Biden has outlined? Yeah, so he's the the plans are sort of a litany of things, the controls they would like to impose on the producers of healthcare. I want to just step back to look at some of the ways the producers are described, because I think it's a necessary condition to make it um, plausible to people that we need further controls. You have to paint the producers of healthcare and whether it's doctors, though it's less likely they single out individual doctors, unless they're really rich, and then they will single them out. As, but, but we have to go over the wealth. We have to go after the wealthy, tax them more. They don't pay their fair share. But they typically will go after companies, businesses, whether it's hospitals making a lot of money, drug companies making a lot of money, insurance companies making a lot of money. And the more you paint them in a uh, bad light, the more you vilify them, the more it nobody cares that, oh, you're making it harder for them to function, harder for them to live well. They're really bad. So it's we, we, you need to do this. And I mean, the, the, his plan is divided into major points. And the third major point is what he's going to do and his administration is going to do is stand up to abuse of power by prescription drug corporations. So abuse of power, this is the way of, and, it, and it further goes after drug companies. They're, one of the characterizations is they're profiting off of the pocketbooks of sick individuals. It's a remarkable thing to say. Because if you take it seriously, it's it's going to be true of anybody who works in the healthcare industry. If they make their, if they earn their living by providing healthcare, then in some sense they are profiteering off the pocketbooks of sick individuals. But of course, it's it's true in a way that's highly slanted that doesn't that doesn't highlight the really essential point, which is that well, yes, they're making a living and they're making a profit by making these sick people well again. That's, that's, that's what it is to trade a value for a value. And uh, do we really wanna say now, for instance, about the, about the big pharmaceutical companies, and they are big pharmaceutical companies like, like Pfizer, who've now just in record time brought this coronavirus vaccine to the market, that 
we, we should we should be angry with them because they've been profiteering off of sickness. How else does sickness get cured if it's not by somebody having an incentive to cure it? Yeah, th this is one of, if not the most evil things in the plant. It to, to paint that people who are hiding medical services, which are so valuable that the, your attitude should be when you go to the doctor or and he prescribes you a drug, it's, I hope you're losing money on this. And I hope the drug company, I hope you go out of business soon. I mean, that, that's what your attitude should be towards them. Um, and, and you should be, and if they're not, if they make a profit and you should be damning them, and, you know, you're profiteering off my sickness. How dare you do that? The idea that that's what your attitude should be to people who provide such a life-giving service is it's perverse. And that, that you're going to base a plan that you're going to run on elect me because this is what I'm going to do. That this is, yeah, it, I find it, it's almost unspeakable to talk about that. Like this is your attitude towards the producers for keeping you alive. And the, actually, I mean, Biden just got the vaccine whatever, a few days ago. Actually, it reminds me of uh, uh, the very different attitude that people have towards someone like Mother Teresa, who famously or infamously was, uh, you know, organized uh, large scale charities for the poor in Calcutta. Uh, they were called Homes for the Dying. Now, she gets lots of credit for that. But the, the, the one thing that people don't really know is that she didn't really help them uh, health-wise. They, they came uh, to, they, they literally came to die. So she gave them a nice place to die. Sometimes she administered palliative care. She didn't do it very well. Uh, you know, you can, you can read about this in the various things that Christopher Hitchens has, has written about uh, Mother Teresa. But I mean, there is an example of someone who is definitely not profiteering uh, in any way from her uh, ministry. But interestingly, she's not actually helping any of the people. Um, and this is because she wanted to save their souls. But uh, I thought that was a, a that's the opposite view that um, is somehow celebrated. Yeah. And it would be celebrated by Biden, I think, particularly as he's a Catholic, he would celebrate that. He's like, yeah, this is something noble about this. Pfizer, who makes the vaccine that the whole world is going to use, how dare they profiteer? Or let's stop them somehow from taking a profit on this. It's, it, it really is perverse. But you have to get that that's the whole way they're looking at the industry to understand, I think, the various... It, it, and it's sort of a laundry list of controls that they hope they'll be able to impose. But the, what's animating it is this attitude towards, this is how we think of the people, doctors, drug companies, insurance companies, who enable us to live lives that longer and healthier than anybody before in the history of the world. This is how they view them. So maybe uh, I think a way you can split up the plans are, it, I mean, we talked a little bit about this, it's to create a public option. That's one major thing. And then various things about how we're going to further control producers, especially it's especially aimed at 
prescription prescription drug companies. But maybe talk a little bit, like what do you think about what plans talk about the public option? Right. So if you look at the actual Biden uh, proposal on his website, here the way here's the way he describes it to begin with. So he says the public option, like Medicare, will negotiate prices with providers, providing a more affordable option for many Americans who today find their health insurance too expensive. Um, the, the rationale that's often being given for, for the public option, at least if you look at what other advocates of the policy have, have said, is that it's, it's, well, first of all, it's supposed to be a new option. Uh, it's supposed to be a cheaper option. Uh, the assumption here is that the private plans are too expensive. We talked a little bit about why they're too expensive already, but we could talk more about that later. Uh, and government is supposed to be very good at making things efficient because it's centralized. That helps keep costs down. And so the public option will provide a superior alternative for those who can't afford uh, the, uh, the privately pro uh, provided plans. Now, from what I've seen, at least, the, the evidence for the idea that the uh, public option is going to be more efficient and it, that, the, that government is especially good at keeping costs down is pretty weak evidence at best. It's, it's based on looking at uh, how much it costs private insurance companies to provide the plans that they provide. Uh, looking, for example, at what, how much do they spend on administrative costs compared to everything else. And if, if uh, private administrative costs are a greater percentage of their overall expenditure than uh, public administrative costs, the thought is the public administrative costs are more efficient. Now, this neglects the fact that government programs have all kinds of hidden costs that never get taken into account, that if one program is providing health care, it's probably piggybacking off of administrative costs of lots of different other uh, government divisions, like the tax, uh, the tax uh, collectors who have to get the money to fund it in the first place. It also doesn't take into account that the administrative costs that government uh, does pay don't usually go toward things like uh, ensuring that we're not paying out lots of false claims. And this is why there's a perennial problem of waste, fraud, and abuse. Um, so that's just a comment on the, the rationale for, uh, the, for the public option. I mean, we could say more about um, what we think we'll actually do. Um, but I mean, did you want to talk about the rationale at all before we move well, on to that? A little bit about, so you put it, it like it's weak at best. I think the at best means something here. So I agree when you look just on the face of it, their arguments. Really, you find this the convincing argument? And if you think, I mean, who thinks of the government as it's efficient and, and more efficient than private companies? I and mean, wherever you look, um, whether it's it's the post office, whether it's, the, it's involved in rail travel, Amtrak, even when you think of what I think of as legitimate government functions like military spending, the idea that I think that's particularly efficient and it's more efficient than Google or Microsoft, it, that, uh, it, I think if you were honestly looking at the evidence, you could not think like that. So part of it, it's, I think of it really in the end as a, as a smoke screen that, and one way of 
getting why it's a smokescreen is if you really thought this could be done more efficiently without government coercion, that is without taking taxpayers' money and giving it to providers of medical care and not accounting for that. So if you really thought this could be done more efficiently, what that really means in an economic sense is it could be done more profitably. And then it's a question of, well, why aren't private businesses doing this? And it might be, oh yeah, no, I've come up with a better idea. Yeah, so start your own health insurance company or start your own hospital or start your own medical practice and show like this is how it really looks to be efficient. And that's, they have no interest in doing that. It's no, it's government's gonna take this over. So the idea that this is, what we're trying to do is foster competition. I think they don't really believe that. And as you, you said earlier, Ben, in, in unguarded moments, they talk about, yeah, like this is a step towards getting rid of private insurance companies, private medicine, and it will be fully government. And I think that's really what they think. The, the point that you just made about uh, the, the military, I think is interesting because it, it brings out the following issue, which is that the, if it's true that government is not particularly uh, efficient from a kind of economic standpoint, there's a reason for that. And that's that government is good at one thing. It's good at using force. Uh, and with something like the military, where it should be using force in order to defend our rights, uh, you, I, I guess you can tolerate whatever inefficiencies are involved with that because that's what it's supposed to do. But uh, when you talk about a government-administered healthcare plan or post office or railroad service, um, an agency whose whole function is to use force by its nature uh, is is not going to be good at doing these kinds of things because its method is its its mo is going to be order people around to do things, uh, and that's not how production happens. Production doesn't happen at the point of a gun. It happens when people, and this is going back to our uh, discussion of rights. It happens when people are left free uh, to use their minds as they see fit uh, for their own sake uh, to profit and trade with others. Um, and so yes. that is maybe a good segue to t talking about the likely impact uh, of this public option. What its advocates say is it's not meant, I mean, when they're not, when they're not wearing the mask, what they'll say is that it's not meant to replace private insurance companies. And uh, they'll say things like, um, well, if you look at other public options, like with uh, the post office and, and public schools, there are still private competitors. But if you ask me, the, the, the likely option, the, the likely outcome here is, is that these private companies will uh, have a harder time providing health care. They'll have a harder, I mean, they don't really even get to provide health insurance anymore. Health insurance has been eliminated by Obamacare, but whatever kind of health services they're, they're providing, it'll be harder for them to do it because they've got a government sponsored competitor whose whole point is to make uh, a cheaper option available by fiat, and that's cheaper for the people who are paying for it, but of course somebody else is going to pay for it. Uh, private companies aren't going to have those kinds of resources at their disposal. And not only that, but for reasons we've already talked about and some that we can continue to discuss, these private competitors are being hobbled uh, by government restrictions already, and Biden wants to hobble them even more. So it's this perverse uh, 
specter of no, we're going to keep the private companies around to compete with our public option, even as we continue to, uh, you know, uh, hit them over the head with a blackjack and and uh, expect them still to provide what they're providing now. It's really hard to imagine how that's going to happen. And maybe we should talk more about some of the other kinds of controls that uh, Biden wants to propose that's going to make that seem more like the likely outcome. Yes, and, and many of them are being sold as this increases competition, when in reality, it what it does is it destroys, among other things, the competition in the industry, and it's on the path of destroying the whole industry. So it's, so there's the threat of, and it is explicit in the plan, that what we need to do it's put as they're going to aggressively use existing antitrust authority to address the problem of, of so-called market power and the concentration of power in the hands of a few medical corporations and pharmaceutical corporations. And antitrust is, again, that's presented as this is what it means to have actual competition. The government deciding who can do what who's allowed to merge, who's allowed to sell products in this line of business at what prices. This is when you look at actual antitrust, the history of antitrust in whatever industry it's, this legislation is used, it's always directed at the most uh, capable producers, whether an IBM, a GE, an Alcoa, a Microsoft, it's used against them when they're at the top of their game. And in the name of competition, we're gonna hamper you, we're gonna stop you from functioning so that the so-called little guy has a chance. That's their idea of competition. The people who are efficient, productive, and therefore making real profits, they're gonna be crippled for the sake of the people who aren't doing this. And this is sold as, oh yeah, that's, we're fostering competition. But if you understand what competition is, it is you're damaging competition. You're damaging the people doing well in the name of the people who aren't doing well. And that, that, that idea is, oh, that's increased competition. It is not, but it's, so this, the whole public option that it's presented, we've got to increase competition. I think many of these other controls are, that's the guise in which they're going to be sold, that it's a further way to increase competition. One of the things that's interesting about the, the way they bring antitrust law into this mix is that the, the way antitrust, antitrust laws are usually applied is to, is to private companies that are thought to have or be seeking monopoly power. And for lots of reasons we could have a separate discussion about, that's a real abuse of the concept of monopoly, where a monopoly means a government-sponsored franchise. Uh, there is a lot of government involvement in healthcare already, but it's not exactly uh, anything like that, except in the places where the plan actually wants to expand things. So like Medicare is a really good example. That is an actual government monopoly. Government has a monopoly on the provision of health insurance for elderly people, end of story. And they want to expand that monopoly. They want to expand that monopoly and uh, expand government control and, and various franchises over other sectors of uh, the healthcare industry. So there's a number of different inversions happening here. Uh, a related one is you often uh, hear 
alleged monopolists accused of so-called price fixing, which if you wanna be literal about it, the only people who can fix prices by fiat are governments who set up price and wage controls. And yet that, here again, that's exactly what the Biden administration wants to do. And I think you noticed some uh, provisions of the plan where that's exactly what they're proposing to do with certain sectors of the healthcare industry. Yeah, so it, it's both the in in setting uh, prices for new drugs, the the plan announced like at least this is what they want to do. That the they're uh, so this is how it's put in the plan for cases where new specialty drugs without competition. So notice again, it's being put under the guise of what we're doing is fostering competition without competition are being launched. So when new specialty drugs are being launched under the Biden plan, the Secretary of Health and Human Services will establish an independent review board to assess their value. So we're gonna have review boards that are gonna decide how valuable new drugs are uh, and both pharmaceutical and more sort of biotech drugs and, and, and procedures. We're gonna have a, some committee deciding their value and so what companies can charge for them. Regardless of how valuable you think it is, how much you would be willing to pay for this drug in your conditions, given your risk profile, given what you're trying to achieve in your life. No, you can't assess the value of this. It's gonna be some board and it's, it's we're going to take over pricing for these new drugs. And th th this idea that this is being presented under competition, one way to get that this is also, I think, in the end, the smokescreen that they don't really believe, it's they always present it in, in the plan, it's presented like this. It's we've got a concentration of power in the hands of a few individuals or a few corporations or a few big drug companies. What's our solution? to put total power into the hands of the government, into one entity that you can't, don't have any choice about to deal with uh, or not. I mean, the government will force you if you'd say, no, I'm gonna, I wanna do something else. No, you're not gonna do something. So their solution to so-called concentration of power is to put total power into the hands of the government. And the idea that someone can really think, yeah, that's, now we've got competition is, nah, you can't do anything. I think we should we should start to wrap up soon. We I think we had one more policy issue we wanted to talk about, but before we do that, I want to remind people who are watching uh, to submit questions. Uh, if you're on Zoom, best way to do that is through the Q and A module, which you can click on at the bottom of your screen. And I am still uh, monitoring super chat to see if anything comes in there. Uh, Ankar, one last thing that I I thought was interesting on the Biden proposal was this importation of drugs from other countries. Um, the way he puts it is to create more competition for US drug corporations, Biden will allow consumers to import prescription drugs from other countries as long as the US Department of Health and Human Services has certified that those drugs are safe. Um, I think this is a very interesting from the perspective of uh, thinking about what it takes to produce drugs and the sort of blind spot or evasion that this uh, policy has for the role of the producer. Because the reason that drugs are cheaper in other countries right now is because there, there is this uh, government negotiation that happens uh, between foreign governments and 
very often American pharmaceutical companies. And the, the foreign governments have a monopoly over their health industries. And so our pharmaceutical companies have to negotiate with them. There's no other way into the country. And so they get cheaper drugs. But the consequence, as far as I've been able to ascertain, is that we is that American consumers of drugs underwrite the cost of selling drugs to other countries because other countries are paying less. That means we have to pay more. Now, of course, that is another example of a problem that gets blamed on the free market, the higher drug prices here, when in fact, it's a consequence of the public health systems in other countries. But now Biden wants to allow reimportation of these cheaper drugs from other countries. If if that means then that the, uh, uh, the we have now a, a cheaper competitor, uh, the higher prices will no longer be paid to the private companies here, but then that means they will have less to, uh, to that they won't be able to sell them for as cheap overseas. And, and I, mean, I get the probably the prices will equalize, I would guess from my kind of amateur economic understanding of it. But it, it really is a, uh, doesn't really bespeak much understanding of the way, what it takes for drugs to get developed, what kind of effort it takes for drugs to get developed. There are a lot of costs in the development of drugs, especially because of various regulatory barriers that pharmaceutical companies have to go through. And at the end of the day, they need an incentive if they're going to produce. Uh, if they're not given a way to profit, and this goes back to our earlier discussion as well, what reason is there to think that they're going to continue to produce these drugs? These reimportation plans are going to, one way or another, uh, disincentivize them. People have a mistaken or really a caricature of what profits mean. So the, the idea that pro what profits are is companies hoarding money or everybody going on vacation and partying in Vegas or something like that's what profits do. No, what profits do is it shows like we're creating real value and you pour that most of that money businesses, particularly growing successful businesses back into the business to invest in it, to continue the research, the development of new drugs. And if you have a proposal that's going to reduce the profits in for American drug companies, what it will mean is we will get fewer drugs, new drugs, fewer innovation drugs. And people don't see it. It's hard to see the drug that wasn't developed because the companies couldn't make enough money to find it profitable to invest in this line of research. And so you don't see that because it's an absence. It's, you don't see the drug developed and then somehow get destroyed. It just doesn't get developed. And people don't have enough economic knowledge to understand that, yeah, just the fact that you don't see it doesn't mean it's still an enormously harmful consequence. And if you ask, what should an administration be doing in regards to this? What would it be to have a more pro-freedom attitude? It would be, so this is a real issue, but you would target the other um, governments and presumably the other Western governments and say, this is a massive violation of the rights of our companies and of your citizens. Like they want to buy the drugs. We want to sell them. And you're preventing that. And this is really harmful. You would go after the governments, not our companies and say, well, since you, and you put it like negotiate, but negotiate has to be in square. It's like negotiating with the IRS. They want you to pay. Or the mafia. Yeah. And it's, it's so they have to 
they're, they're forced to charge what is too little for their drugs. And now you're going to force them to, oh, and now people can import that into the U.S. So also in the U.S., you can't, you don't have the freedom to sell for what you actually think how valuable your products are. And it, that, it's another example of it. There's not even a, a pretense at what we're is about freedom. Um, and I think there's no consideration of like, what would freedom mean here? No, it's we're going to put further shackles and controls on it. And it's a real, it, it's tragic, but also despicable. We have a few questions that have come in. Uh, I think we should, we should uh, take a look. And if anyone still wants to submit one, please uh, take a moment to do that. Um, so one question that came in through Zoom is about the more philosophic question. We started our conversation with about the right to healthcare. Uh, questioner asks, uh, says, my local radio station runs ads in which the narrator states that everyone has a right to healthcare. This is a bad premise to begin with. I don't include anything that someone else has to provide as a right. Shouldn't we start the discussion with that? And do we get people to, and how do we get people to truly understand that? I think it is a, a good question. How do we communicate about what rights actually mean? And how do we convince people that rights do not include a right to healthcare, they do not include the right to uh, demand other people to produce services for you. And Ankar, do you have thoughts on what's the most effective way to communicate this point? I have maybe one, but I'd like to hear what you have to say first. Partly how we set it up, I think this is one of the ways to do it. So if you come out straight that there's no right to healthcare, you're, it's often interpreted in people's minds who, who are um, kind of have absorbed the mainstream or conventional perspective on this issue. I mean, conventional now that everybody's got a right to healthcare, that you're dismissing the importance of healthcare and saying, um, no, this is this is, should not be an active concern of people. And I think you have to stress, no, healthcare is really valuable. And that's why you would should want the whole industry and all the people in it, particularly the producers, but also consumers of healthcare. And there's all kinds of ways in which we just as consumers are not free. I and mean, the FDA is does not allow us to decide what drugs we think are worth taking if, they, if we're willing to take risks, be early users of a drug because we have a particularly severe case of cancer or leukemia or what have you. So there's all kinds of ways in which the freedom, both of producers and consumers are interfered with. And I think if you set it up as like, this is so enormously valuable that you should want to be free and then to ask why you're not free. And the, one of the basic reasons is we're told and everybody thinks that they have a right to healthcare. And if, that, if you really take that seriously, that's incompatible with freedom. I think that is one of the ways, it's not the only way, but it's one of the ways to, to um, get people thinking in a better vein about this issue. Yeah, it strikes me there's a, a kind of parallel that you could make building on that same point, which is uh, to point to other things that people agree are rights and to make the same sort of point about them. So I think many people will agree that free speech is a right. Do they think that that's true because they think speech, communication, uh, thought, ideas, knowledge, do they think these things are important? 
that's why they should be left free. Okay, but you don't want the government managing the publishing industry. You don't want the government uh, censoring the newspapers, deciding what can and can't be printed. Uh, there, it seems like what you should have is freedom. Well, why not for this other industry, which is just as, if not more important than uh, that other realm? Um, perhaps not as important in my view, but still pretty important um, as uh, the, uh, the free exchange of ideas. Yeah, we, we had another question come in about some more of the economic issues that came in uh, that, we, that we discussed. How is, it, how is it that you think the advocates of government health provision ignore the evidence of every country that has such a system, are notorious for waiting lists, poor supply, lack of innovation, lack of purchasing options, and in fact, people from those countries who can afford to go to US for healthcare and most up-to-date services? I mean, Ankar, you're uh, originally from Canada. Uh, I'd be interested, especially to hear your perspective on this as a, as a uh, as someone who lived in Canada and who must have uh, had to deal with their single payer system. Um, there's more to talk about uh, in connection with this issue as well, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, so it, these it, things are real so that Canada has waiting lists in the way that if you're willing to pay in the U.S., you don't have waiting lists. That is true. I've experienced that and most Canadians have experienced that. The lack of innovation, that's true in all these systems. Right? The U.S. drives healthcare innovation throughout the world. It's not the only place that innovation occurs, but I think it really drives it. And one thing that is not talked about enough is the more government is involved in the industry, the more pull that exists that you can, and I experienced this in Canada, that it's, if you happen to know someone in the healthcare industry, someone at a hospital, so there's ways in which you can get out of the line and get into, get services quicker than you otherwise would have. But it's, if money doesn't talk, something else does. And the something else is you have political pull you know people who have the power to say, okay, now we're gonna push this guy further down the line and we're gonna move you up. And, so, and that is not a good system to be in. If you've ever been in that kind of environment where it, um, I mean, it, it's, it's moving in towards that the functioning by bribes and so much of the second world when you're dealing with government, it's yeah, if you bribe the right official and the, you can get certain things that you otherwise couldn't. And that is, I think, endemic to many of these systems as well. But the, uh, I think there's at least two reasons why the, 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 that by itself is not sufficient to convince people. So one is the, just the moral issue. If, if people think there's a right to healthcare, then, okay, yeah, maybe it's not perfectly implemented in Canada or in Sweden or in Germany, but at least they're trying to do the right thing and figure it out and make sure everyone is guaranteed this right to health care. And that people are going to keep trying it if that really is the goal that we're trying to implement. And the other thing is, it's the U.S. is no longer a free medical system. And we talked about this event, not, not nowhere close to free. So there are some things in the American system, including like this, how much your healthcare is tied to your job that are really problematic. 
and don't exist in other systems. And that someone would think, oh yeah, that's better that it's not like that. Um, th there is a context in which it is better. So it's, it's, we're not comparing now a free system to unfree systems. Something I would add to that, because the person was asking about how is it that they can evade all this evidence about the results overseas? Well, one way that they're able to do it is, is by focusing instead on, on evidence that when you look at it in a selective way, it does seem to favor the other systems. Mm -hmm. And so there's two examples that come to mind. I've heard, and I haven't looked at the, study, at the, the studies lately, uh, so I would have to you know, double check to make sure this is true. And maybe you know something about it, um, but that when you take a survey, for instance, of uh, the Canadian population about the, about what do they actually like the, the healthcare system there? The vast majority of them say they love it. But of course, it's here it's really important that the vast majority of people never get sick or have to use the healthcare system beyond you know just kind of regular checkups and occasional you know prescriptions when you do a survey of the sick people in 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 places like canada that then the system becomes much more uh or much less popular that that the people who've actually been through it uh are not as big of fans as kind of the general population who only sees kind of the, the, the cheap, easy access for trivial things. Um, the other data point that I had was, uh, I, I've spoken to physicians who studied uh, this issue and who've looked at some of the health outcome statistics. Now, now, not just, you know, popularity surveys, but actual health outcome statistics. And it's true that in socialized systems, there are better outcomes for things like, I believe, childhood mortality, uh, and uh, examples of healthcare where lots of uh, spending on uh, what, what do you call preventive care can be can be helpful. But if you want to really test a medical system, if you want to see what happens to people who get sick uh, and who weren't able to prevent it in the first place. The best way to assess the quality of the medical system is to, is to assess outcomes where a patient has to go through the whole system. And you know, a good example here would be somebody who has heart disease, somebody who has uh, cancer, especially, because when you're, when you're sick with cancer, you have to deal with uh, the medical system for many years. And the people that I've talked to who've point, looked at studies say that when you look at health outcomes for things like cancer treatment, um, cancer survival rates, things like that, comparing the US to say European countries. American system is much better. Uh, it, it, that's, that's if you're just trying to assess quality uh, where the system has the ability to really run itself through a full test. It, it succeeds in the, freer in the freer country where there's more innovation, which is what you would expect um, because that's where really high tech innovation is necessary for delivering high quality care to people who are really sick. There's another aspect to this, I think, that is important that is almost always overlooked. That when I look at a healthcare system and, and think, would I want this healthcare system or a different system? I look at it from an individual perspective and from my own perspective. So, and if you put it in terms of, again, the Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness. It's the pursuit of healthcare. 
So can I pursue it and go to different doctors and talk to them and see who really seems to understand this issue? And we've got um, some condition, I or a family member or someone I love, who has a condition that it, like, it doesn't seem normal. Can you figure it out? Can you find the best doctor? So I'm not very interested in what the average level of care is. If I want to go and purchase medical services and the best that I can find, am I free to do so? And in the Canadian system, it's no, you're not. It, you need permission even just to see a specialist. And then it's you're going to too many and so on. And this is a waste of resources. And so I'm much less free. And I know in a free system, there are many people who are just going to take what the first thing, their first doctor tells them and so on, and aren't going to really pursue it, but they're free to do it. And if they don't, that's on them. But in, when you're in a much more controlled system, you've lost that freedom. And to me, that's what really matters. And I know many people who have had unusual conditions, and they've been able to figure it out in the US because they can go to all kinds of different um, uh, providers and really seek out the best. And this is why the leaders of uh, foreign countries who are in charge of their public health systems inevitably end up coming to the Mayo Clinic uh, in Minnesota uh, yeah. to get treatment for uh, whatever ails them. Um, we should we should start to uh, wrap up. Um, I wanted to share with our audience first just a few uh, resources that they can take a look at if they want to learn more about uh, some of the ideas that we've talked about today. Uh, one of them is a short excerpt from Ayn Rand. This is in, uh, the easiest way to find it is to go to the, her book for the new intellectual, uh, which is, a uh, which excerpts a number of things uh, from Atlas Shrugged and the Fountainhead. It's a passage actually from Atlas Shrugged, but if you go and look for it, the forgotten man of socialized medicine, which is a small section of for the new intellectual, you'll get the perspective that she gives, uh, to, a character in that book who's a healthcare provider, who's a, who's a doctor, and what it is that socialized medicine does to people like this, uh, and in particular, how it uh, disregards their needs and the requirements for producing the healthcare that they produce. Uh, also would like to recommend an essay uh, by Leonard Peikoff, Healthcare is Not a Right. This is on the philosophic issue that we started our discussion with today. Uh, you can find this on the website of the Ayn Rand Institute if you go to uh, bit.ly slash no right healthcare, a little uh, shortened link that I created for healthcare is not a right. If you have a question you'd like to send us about today's episode, if you have ideas for future episodes, you can send those to newideal at aynrand.org. That's our email address. We read everything that comes into there. We respond to many of uh, the inquiries that we get. Um, and otherwise, uh, Stay tuned for tomorrow. Uh, we will be back for one more chapter of our series on the philosophic ideas that are moving the Biden administration's policy agenda. We'll be I will be back to discuss its environmental and energy policy with Dr. Keith Lockage, who's going to be uh, my co-host for tomorrow. So thank you, Anka, for joining us. Thank and you. thanks everyone for watching. We will see you again tomorrow. You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.